0: Should Christians celebrate Halloween? What if we call it a harvest festival? It's okay then, right? Well, we've all heard the jokes, but whether we engage or escape the holiday, we must take seriously how our neighbors perceive the holiday. Right down to our choice of lawn decorations, Halloween's trappings can encourage us to celebrate good things, like fall and fandom, yet can also provoke us into flippant mockery of death and self-distraction from real suffering, and even ignorance of dark magic. That's truly horrible. So yes, maybe we can dress up and distribute candy. Let's also learn to hurl light against the darkness. (laughs) ha! Welcome again to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com. In this podcast, as at Lorehaven, we find and explore the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. We apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our author, Jesus Christ, has called us to serve. I'm Stephen Burnett, and I publish Lorehaven.com. I also helped co-author the nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent.
1: And I'm Zachary Russell, and for Halloween this year, I'm dressing up as Wreck-It Ralph, the awesome costume that my teenage daughter made for the Realm Makers Book Awards with the costume contest this summer. And this is episode 86, How Can Christians Fight Halloween's Deathly flippancy in Dark Magic? Zach, did such disguises help get you out of that scrape I mentioned in our last
0: episode, for which you were absent. And I was very (laughs) worried about you, brother. I, I figured you would delve too deep and too greedily into these alien conspiracies and the men in black had come uh, taking you away to a small room in area 51 what did you see is there anything you can report uh, from this capture
1: it's all under an nda and my memory was erased are you so sure your memory was you.
0: erased or did they just tell you <laughs> your memory was erased they like, are you sure you didn't see anything anything at all no flying discs no extraterrestrials no extra dimensionals
1: Uh, It was it was all a dream because I took the blue pill. So so
0: no, no fungus on other worlds, which would be allowed under the Christian worldview, even if aliens are not. (laughs) Speaking of things allowed under the Christian worldview. Yes. Yes. Slow clap. It is our Halloween show delayed a month because we had so many great guests to get to during the month of October. For the first time this year, I must admit, admit, not confess that I at this ripe age have installed my very first. Halloween-ish fall festival, if that's your thing. I have a fall festival harvest decoration on my lawn this year. The first decoration I've had for the fall festival slash Halloween, but, but it is a dragon. It is a dragon, which might be bad. Zach, do you have any decorations
1: on your lawn? Any spooks, skeletons, or grim grinning ghosts? No, we we just haven't done decorations very much this year for anything or last couple of years. I th- I feel like uh, we're just not big into decorations, nothing against them. It's just too much work and I'm too lazy. Well, it's in the Bible that you have to
0: put up decorations for Christmas. <laughs> it's right there in uh, 2 Corinthians, isn't it? Uh, see, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll do Christmas decorations, except for very busy years where I feel like I'll get around to it one of these days, but then I never do. But indoor decorations, we always do those. No option there. It's basically... A, a religious tradition, I suppose, for us. I'm saying that ironically. Uh, the same thing when I talk about the dragon on my lawn. Like I don't actually think it's evil. It's a cute dragon. It's one of the good dragons, you know, not not the not a James R. Hannibal dragon uh, from Wolf Soldier, which is evil, uh, or the dragon from the Book of Revelation, which is also evil. But this is this mm-hmm. is the this is the cool one, you know. It's like a Godzilla's chibi cousin. Uh, he he looks very goofy. He's shooting a fire, uh, and he inflates very well.
1: I still want to do that classic dad joke that someone did in my neighborhood growing up. I'm sure people have heard of this where you, you put a scarecrow on a bench in front of your house, put it there for several weeks. And then on Halloween you dress up as the scarecrow. Yes. And the oh, scare that would be
0: perfect. Well, it is called a <laughs> scarecrow. That's the whole point of this thing.
1: Yeah. yeah I heard, uh, heard
0: Al Muller recently on his podcast, basically coming out right and suggesting that your kids ought not to dress up as the, the creepy, horrible, demonic creatures. I think I'm there agreeing with him, but as to whether or not you could dress up as the Paw Patrol characters or a Scarecrow or something like that, I think that's a little bit different. Uh, We're going to get specifically into that topic of decorations and the subtopic of flippancy at Halloween. The problems when our observance of the holiday right down to our decorations lead to the wrong kind of flippancy, when we are joking or being, uh, being mocking about stuff that doesn't need to be joked or mocked about. Uh, it's kind of inspired by an article I wrote at Lorehaven last week. You'll find all those links in the show notes. First, you will also find a link in the show notes to our first sponsor for this episode, Returning Champion Novel Marketing Podcast. We've been going through each of these Ten Commandments of Book Marketing from this long-running podcast from Thomas Umstadt Jr. Uh, this is a podcast for folks who are making the kinds of stories uh, that Lorehaven explores. That uh, Lorehaven is all about the fans. novel marketing and other groups are about the production of these stories thomas goes through these 10 commandments for book marketing and uh, this one is commandment number eight thou shalt surround thyself with savvy authors this is a good one it's about the need for real life community among authorial types don't just uh, uh touch and go with them on the social media uh even a zoom meeting even a uh, even a video chat is better but the best way to learn how to be a great storyteller uh to learn how to make the stories great and market them well is to hang out and listen to and learn from other authors i love how in this uh in this uh, commandment number 8 thomas goes through it's almost a discipleship here he's really good at weaving those uh christian principles in there uh he says that several factors get in the way of people trying to surround themselves with savvy authors. Uh, He's talking about getting over the problems of artifice, pride, and envy. These things will destroy your chances of learning to be a great storyteller and learning to be a great marketer for your stuff. You need to listen to the Novel Marketing Podcast, not just this episode, but the whole thing. I've been listening to it for several years now, actually, uh, long before they became a sponsor of this show. You can find the links and more information in our show notes for episode 86, as well as by going to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Okay, so it is Halloween, or at least it was Halloween. Uh, Mind you, all the candy wrappers on the floor, but if you're still hungry, perchance, we have the concession stand open. Uh, This on-again, off-again feature of the podcast where we go over these sweet, hot, piping, sugary, salty, carbohydrate-infested concessions. I think, as
1: long as they're not candy corn. No, not candy corn. Everyone devil. has
0: decided it's a meme now. Candy corn is evil. <laughs> um, I saw one recently that actually had the candy corn made up to look like the uh, the former president of the United States, taking advantage <laughs> of the fact that it has an orange middle and a uh, and a yellow top. So, candy corn, we might say, is one of those uh, less righteous elements of <laughs> Halloween. And among those other less righteous elements is our first concession. Uh, this is not the episode where we do the Christian apologetics thing and we talk about the druids uh, and the dressing up like evil spirits to avoid the evil spirits and all that stuff. Uh, that is an important topic, but I feel it has been covered uh, pretty thoroughly by other podcasts and articles. Go find those on your own. Uh, we're, we're trying a, a different tack here, not because we want to be clever, but just because it's on our minds right now. At least it's on my mind. Uh, we're also well aware of the whole biblical freedom issue. We're not saying, don't celebrate Halloween. Um, unless you feel like we should be saying that, then sure, uh, feel free to hear that. We're just not going to focus on the biblical freedom issues at this time. Yes, we are free, as scripture says, uh, but do not use your freedom uh, as an indulgence for the flesh. That's a very important corollary, not freedom for its own sake, but freedom for Christ's sake. Third, a bit of a minor concession here, maybe a fun size snicker bar. Um, I will mention, just be aware, later in this episode, I might mention the Harry Potter series in a slightly positive light. We haven't done the big Harry Potter episode yet, but I've written about it a lot. Uh, Yes, there are negatives to the series. I want to acknowledge that. I don't think little kids should be reading it. Uh, I think that mature Christian readers can, should they choose to, and I think that's where I find myself. Uh, We'll. Go over the negatives about Harry Potter in a future series, but I felt like it's important to draw some positive application from that series. Uh, more disclaimers are in my article that inspired this episode. Uh, you can get that at lorehaven.com. The article is called Don't Let Halloween Flippancy Distract You from Real Horrors and Promises. Make sure, by the way, you subscribe to Lorehaven. That way you get all the articles as we put them out, as well as the new podcast episodes on Tuesdays and the new reviews every Friday. We'll also be drawing here in just a moment from an older article I wrote just called Flippancy Kills Stories. In fact, we're going to start there by talking about what we mean by flippancy. Uh, This is a quote from the Screw Tape Letters where he's talking. Well, you'll hear from him in just a moment. Uh, That means we go to our first big point here. Halloween can make light of death's darkness. Halloween can make light of death's darkness. Little pun there, but my make light... We don't mean the good kind, shining light in darkness, but making light, being flippant, being overly casual, the glib about serious things. And the way that I understand this, uh, Zach, is, is from C.S. Lewis's understanding of flippancy. I think I've referenced this in previous episodes. Uh, flippancy in a story can kill the story. And I think it can kill an otherwise fun holiday when we are too flippant or glib about serious things. Uh, In letter 11 of C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, uh, the demonic uncle slash undersecretary screwtape expounds on human humor. He's philosophizing about everything, that rascally devil. And he likes to classify humor in four categories. Paraphrasing here, he says, okay, Wormwood when the humans are laughing about something it's for one of these four reasons the first is joy people are just legitimately filled with with joy that ultimately comes from god whether or not they know it uh, the second cause of humor is fun which is, is a lighter version of of joy three is the joke proper which is an organized way of telling the joke like you know guys sitting around in a pub coming up with some funny story and the fourth screw tape says is the best one for demons to make use of. The fourth reason for human humor is flippancy, and this is the direct quote. Screwtape says, quote, but flippancy is the best one of all. By one, he means the devilish use of humor. In the first place, it is very economical. Only a clever human can make a real joke about virtue, or indeed about anything else. Any of them can be trained to talk as if virtue were funny. Among flippant people, the joke is always assumed to have been made. No one actually makes it, but every serious subject is discussed in a manner which implies that they have already found a ridiculous side to it. If prolonged, the habit of flippancy builds up around a man the finest armor-plating against the enemy that I know, and it is quite free from the dangers inherent in the other sources of laughter. It is a thousand miles away from joy. It deadens, instead of sharpening, the intellect. And it excites no affection between those who practice it. That's the end of the quote. And that's the kind of flippancy that I see sometimes, sometimes when I look at some Halloween decorations, I see this glib approach to death. Um, All the skeletons grinning, standing around, getting hung from trees. Uh, Some of this imagery is making light of truly dark and disturbing things. Do we believe that it is terrible when people die? We talked about last spring, the reality of death and suffering. And this year, I, 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 I've seen death, you know, not just from the pandemic, but you know, death struck my family, my immediate family, last spring. But I've thought this for a while. I mean, this, this article I originally wrote uh, for, for the Speculative Faith site several years ago, I, I just improved and enhanced it a little bit for a re-release but it it strikes me all the more now you know having having seen death more closely um i just don't think that our halloween decorations should be making fun of death being flippant about it death is not a joke uh, scripture doesn't treat it as a joke christians don't treat it as a joke and non-christians don't actually treat it as a joke i mean you'd have to be a complete casual idiot if someone tells you that their child died in a car wreck or something like that, and, and you were just flippant about it, are you going to put a skeleton on your lawn uh, acting out a car wreck if you knew that your friend had undergone this terrible tragedy? Well, in that case, I guess I, I just wonder, and Zach, maybe I have some thoughts on this. Like, What is the point of putting out not just decorations of skeletons or creatures, which you could show in a more redemptive context, and I actually have some ideas about that, a little high budget. But if you just put out like a skeleton strung up from a tree or even the tombstones, and I'll get to the tombstones in a moment that show, you know, rest in pieces or, you know, all these, all these pun names, like I find those a little bit triggering. Like, I mean, I've now have been to my dad's gravestone, you know, well, they don't, they didn't have the stone yet when I was there, but been to his grave site and like, that's not funny. I I can do dark humor, particularly if we're laughing at human failings, but death is not funny. Uh, death is a serious threat. The devil is a serious threat. And I think if we're to observe Halloween and decorate and stuff, I, I wish we would take those things a little bit more seriously. And anyway, any thoughts on that, Zach? Am I am I am I just going too serious now or what do you think?
1: No, I I I have a lot of thoughts about this. And I want to talk about a passage from Hebrews in a second. But first, just going back to screw tape letters, when you talk about flippancy, so I I thought you were going to go somewhere else in screw tape letters where Lewis talks about. What the devil can't withstand is mockery. Because Lewis holds up the value of mockery. Yes. Like in in mocking the devil. Yeah. Because you know he's a defeated
0: foe. That's the important thing. For the Christian, the devil is a defeated foe. If you're in Christ, if you're a member of a local church, if you are practicing to be more like Jesus according to the scriptures, so you can get closer to Jesus and his perfect joy, which leads to humor and leads to natural mocking of the devil, that's fine. That is absolutely biblical. Um, The devil is a serious threat, but to an extent we can mock him. I I think this is different from the kind of secular flippancy that we see, especially among people who have no cause for making light of death. Death is still a very real threat to these folks. So why are you making fun of it? Do you have a savior who's conquered it? Well, I do. And even then I take death seriously.
1: Yeah, I think some of the flippancy that comes from the world so this is what I want to reference in Hebrews. This is Hebrews two fourteen and 15. So bear with me here. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power uh-huh. of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So I I think you're right going back to the beginning, what you said about the worldly roots of Halloween are this idea that if I dress up as a spirit, I will chase away the evil spirits. This comes from the fear power paradigm, which is not even close to the dominant worldview in the West. You know, we're a guilt innocence culture with little tidbits now of like the honor, shame culture. Every culture has got these paradigms to some extent, but we are not a fear power culture. And that, I think that's why, first of all, we treat Halloween in a flippant way. Cause like we're we're not in a supernaturalist culture anymore. We're in a materialist culture, a naturalist culture. It's like, there's a disconnect. It's like, we celebrate this. We don't know why. So we just kind of laugh about it. But I also think that yes, everyone has the fear of death. I mean, that's true in every culture. I think it's people trying to kick against that and, and kind of defeat that fear. I remember going to haunted houses when I was a teenager. And I, I was doing some reading recently about this, like, why do people like scary movies? Why do people like haunted houses? It's the best attempt people can make psychologically to break themselves of their fear of death and of their fear of evil and, and horror and of fear itself. I mean, we're seeing that now in the Dune movie, and the Dune books, fear is the mind killer. I must not fear. So there's this um, kind of humanist impulse to like, I have to conquer my fear. Right, but how and, and to what end? You can't save yourself, and you also can't conquer your own fear of death. Ultimately, but I think what we're seeing is people's best attempt. At
0: right. That. Well, that's that's the that that's where the deconstruction comes in because it's not going to work. Uh, you can put out that uh, that polystyrene gravestone on the front of your lawn, uh, that you picked up at the, I guess not hobby lobby. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe hobby lobby. I don't know. Isn't that a Christian business closed on Sundays? I mean, how much Halloween flippancy <laughs> can you get there? I, I haven't been there cause I don't buy those kinds of products, but if you do set that out, you know, uh, is that a way then to, um, inoculate yourself? Against the fear that one day your name will be on a real stone tombstone like that, you know, with a fixed date of birth and death and your name on there and maybe a favorite quote or something else, depending on what you can afford. I would much prefer confronting the sobering reality that is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment than to distract myself with jokes and flippant decorations. I'm not saying no decorations. Like, obviously, I have a dragon on my lawn, but it's a cutesy dragon. Uh, in, in my case, if I were to put a frightening dragon on the lawn with glowing red eyes, you know, that looks genuinely fearsome, um, I would want to somehow get a, a, little, uh, a little statue of St. George and put him right in front of the dragon uh, just to show, you know, that, hey, as the quote goes, uh, the fake uh, Chesterton quote adapted by Neil Gaiman, uh, dragons exist, uh, what is it, dragons exist to show they can be beaten. Uh, I would want to show that reality in my Halloween decorations. And and that's why I wouldn't put out a flippant gravestone. Uh, I don't know if I'd put out any kind of gravestone at all, just because it's so associated with that kind of self-distraction. I don't want to think about death, so I'm going to pretend that it's a defeated foe. But for the non-Christian, it is not defeated. It is real. The threat of hell is real. The threat of God's wrath is real. Any step we take towards ignoring that or deadening our consciences against that uh, brings us closer to the very reality we try to distract ourselves from.
1: Now, I think there is a certain sense of healthy mockery of death because we do see that in the scriptures. Where, oh, death is your yeah. sting. from the position Where, oh death, is of your, is victory? Yeah, from the position of those who are in Christ, who has conquered. Death. Yes,
0: absolutely, absolutely.
1: And I, I love this song by Matt Marr, "Alive Again." It came out in two thousand nine. Uh, it says. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Mm, come awake, again. come awake. Rise come and up, rise from, up the grave. from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your... The tree? only time you can so say, oh, hell church. in church. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, church, come stand the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. It's sung as a worship song, but it really is a taunt. Yes, death. and I love it, it for it that It is reason. a, it's, hey, where, you know, what you got on me, death? Like, you don't got nothing on me you know, there's this meme that's been around for a long time of the, there's like a guy in a trench coat kind of squatting near a grave and he's like flashing the peace sign. And, you know, there's yeah, all kinds that's, of,
0: that's Grant Gustin who played the flash. Yeah. Cause he was, he was yeah. looking at his own, <laughs> uh, he was looking at his own tombstone, I think from an alternate reality or a, or another version of earth. Yeah. From the CW's the flash series. <laughs> he's, so he's it, it's
1: like, you know, it's a perfect representation of that meme or of that truth is that, Death has no power over yeah. us anymore in Christ, but yes, there is a weird response to death people have is sort of like it's very insecure and and it's it's like you're trying to make the most of it while knowing that you don't really have power over it and this meme of the guy by the grave it actually came to life recently, and there was this crazy Instagram post that went viral oh that's right um of this I'm just going to censor this as best I can is, is a young woman posing in a seductive way in front of her father's casket. It's like so many things on Instagram. It's like, you're obviously just doing this to get attention. Well, it's flippant.
0: That's, that's the example yeah. of flippancy. If that was real, that wasn't a pose or anything, was it? I I don't know. I mean, it's just. I mean, I didn't see anybody in the casket. Like it it seemed to have been. Oh, you could. Oh, you could. uh, It was
1: an open casket. It was open. I I can't remember how much you can see. I mean, they're pretty
0: usually, you know, you can't just rent a casket to use for, (laughs) I mean, I guess you use them for movies or something. But that's, that's what I would hope is that it turned out to be a a prank of some kind, a sick prank. But she was really doing it.
1: Because she's like, well, Uh, my father would have approved of this. And I'm like you know what? I'm I'm sort of going to give a young person a pass who doesn't know a healthy way maybe to deal with their own father's death. Like I'm I'm not going to come down hard on this person, but it it really did strike me as like, this is the perfect blend of our cultural moment of social media narcissism. It's like people trying to have power over death without really having any power
0: over it. There you go. There you go. It's a fake, fake power. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that leads to my second point there is that uh, that pretense of power over death also leads to the fact that some of the tropes and decorations we use for Halloween can mock the resurrection with gross parodies. And I'll actually start this with this little um, little thought experiment I did in my head a moment ago. I was thinking, OK, so I'm not going to put these uh, you know, fake gravestones on my lawn because I think those are flippant about death. Is there a way I could creatively subvert that? Uh, could I redeem that somehow by using another form of decoration, however homemade? So I'm thinking, okay, let's say I have a lot of spare time and I want to show the trick-or-treaters something when they come to my door on Halloween night. So let's say I dig a grave like six feet down, you know, six feet long, two, three feet wide, and I put a fake gravestone in front of there. And, and I just show that it's, it's an open grave. I don't show a skeleton. I don't show a vampire. I don't show a zombie. Uh, it's just an open grave. Let's say I put some really Christian message on the tombstone and imply with this alternative decoration that this is a grave site like the kind you would find on the new heavens and new earth. No one's there anymore. Imagine it. Imagine the glory. You know, Jesus has an empty tomb. Well, now in the new heavens and new earth, after Christ returns, there are going to be billions of, of these open graves, not in a creepy way, but open because no one's there anymore. And I'd like to imagine that they don't just get bulldozed for some New Earth condominiums or you know, rocket launch pads or something like that uh, for the New Earth Space Reclamation Project. I'd like to think that each one of those millions of graves serves as a memorial to the fact that that person is now made alive forever in Christ. He or she is now a reigning, walking, talking, adventuring, worshiping king or queen under King Jesus. However, if I were to try that kind of decoration on Halloween night, it's only going to look creepy. Everybody's going to be thinking, oh no, where is that person who once was there reduced to bones and little else? They're out there haunting. They're a ghost. They're a vampire. They're a zombie. They're a skeleton. I don't think it would work because Halloween and the tropes associated with it have mocked the resurrection with these kinds of parodies. They're counterfeits to the resurrected saint uh, by design. Like, you know, for example, Count Dracula, we talked about last uh, fall with Jeffrey Ryder. Uh, It's a satanic counterfeit of an immortal reigning saint. Uh, He's a disordered man. He's living forever. You know, he can only sleep in his native Mm -hmm. soil. He's going out at night. He's biting people, turning them into vampires. You know, it's all it's all disordered. It's uh, inverted humanity. It's a satanic counterfeit. Uh, zombie, also a uh, kind of a, a newer uh, concept, there uh, is kind of similar. You know, this shambling mess of a corpse. It's a it's a perversion of the idea of a resurrected human walking the earth. And then skeletons are very popular and apparently very economical. Probably all made in China. You know, all these plastic skeletons sitting on lawn chairs in the lawns. They also kind of deny the reality of fully restored spirit powered people who have flesh, who have spiritual flesh they're material beings Uh, they're not just skeletons walking around but they're fully restored human beings in the resurrection and you put out this parody of that oh no it's a living skeleton you know you're just constantly enhancing the idea that when the dead come back to life that is a terrible creepy unnatural thing the dead are supposed to stay dead but In Christianity, the dead are not supposed to stay dead. Everybody's immortal one way or another. You're going to live forever in heaven. That is a new heavens and new earth, or you're going to live forever in hell. I'm just i uncomfortable with these parodies of the resurrection, uh, and I I think that Christians ought to think seriously about whether or not we participate in those. Unfortunately, I don't think we can come up with a godly version of that, like my St. George statue in front of the dragon, uh, because the imagery is just automatically creepy automatically creepy at halloween
1: it was interesting how in season three of the walking dead they leaned into this with the character uh herschel oh, who's okay. this kind of he's this old farmer kind of wise old man and this uh kind of reflective moment he says christ promised resurrection of the dead and i just thought he had something a little different in mind he
0: did oh but he did that's a good line i don't watch the walking <laughs> dead so i miss out on these things yeah. my, my co-author jared uh, last i checked was a fan
1: yeah, I, I didn't know what to think about that because I'm like, okay, is this the show trying to deconstruct Christian hope and the resurrection, or are they actually pointing out the fact that zombies are not the resurrection and there will be a resurrection later? It, I didn't know what to think of it. It It's kind of hit somewhere in the middle for well, me. Well, that's probably by it,
0: design. Um, You know, they, they yeah. want to appeal to as many people as possible, and it, it sounds like you can interpret that both ways if you if you wanted to.
1: Yeah. So do do zombie shows really show what people think will happen or what people fear would happen? Cause you know, it, it would be kind of fearful if you lived in this belief system that after I die, something could happen to my body without my permission. Like my, either I become a zombie or I become a vampire, like I'm feeding on other people or I become this ghost that's sort of trapped. I think it, it just, again, it points to the uncertainty people have and the sort of powerless power people try to have over death because most people don't know what's going to happen after death and why we get so many uh, stories where, you know, it's like death is on the line. Yeah.
0: I just, if I were to make an application here, and it's not like I have kids are going out trick or treating or something, but of all, a lot of our listeners might, and they may have already come to this conclusion. And in that case, I would enhance their reasoning with this. Uh, does it help, even in little ways, to cultivate a biblical view of death and resurrection? Uh, if you or your kids or whomever are dressing up as this ghost or vampire or a zombie, does that even in small ways reinforce the flippancy or the parody of the resurrection? I'm not sure that it does. Uh, I think there may be a way, though, to redeem that. Um, it's certainly not by avoiding any kind of dress up. Uh, in my article, I said that in its best manifestation, we can view Halloween as basically just Comic-Con, the holiday.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how my kids view it. I mean, they got yeah, their costumes should, now that are in, uh, they, they've got, one, one has a costume that's from Avatar the last Airbender, another one has a costume from How to Train Your Dragon. There you and the go. Fan Two very I mean, good franchises. really elaborate costumes they're making. They're really, really I cool. I want pictures
0: if you don't mind uh, sh- sharing yeah. those even with me. So
1: yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that aspect
0: of Halloween because even if you're not specifically celebrating the resurrection uh, or telling people to be more serious about the sting of death, celebrating great stories is, I think, the best mm-hmm. way to steer Halloween. You're dressing up as a hero. Uh, Or or even a villain, you know, go out there like Thanos, you know, have your little plastic glove with the gems plugged into it. Everybody knows Thanos is the bad guy. Uh, There's a lot less risk that you're going to contaminate the culture by being flippant about bad guys or death or whatever, because we all agree that Thanos is the bad guy. Could you dress up as Dracula, though? I thought about it because I'm a fan of the book, Um, but I don't want to dress up as Dracula because the understanding about Dracula has gotten confused. He's either a wacky cartoon character on a cereal box uh, or an anti-hero played by Gary Oldman or somebody. We'd have a lot more cultural lifting to do before we can have people look at a Dracula costume and go, oh, that's terrible. You know, basically, you're dressing up as you know, somebody like Harvey Weinstein or a or, you know, reputably accused abuser uh, times 10. Uh, we need to have that kind of revulsion. Don't dress up as Hitler at Halloween. <laughs> that's uh, that's also easily identified as somebody evil.
1: I keep waiting for someone to dress up as Dr. Fauci and everyone not know which way they're, why they're dressing. Oh, up that's way. funny. Are dressing up the way to honor him or to mock him because he's so controversial? Like put fangs but on him. I think, him, I be think that'd easily be a, uh, a mockery there. or Put a halo on him, and that would also be a yeah. tribute. Yeah, you, you could you could swap it out with you know different things. I think it'd be a fantastic costume just because he's so public and everyone has their opinion about him. But dressing up as villains, I I've thought about this a lot, Stephen. I I think this goes back to a couple of things I've written before about why are we fascinated with villains, and I think it th- there can be a trap there because dressing up or kind of play acting a villain. On one hand, it exposes sin, right? It exposes bad thinking. I mean, when when you really start thinking like, why does a villain act this way? It can be a good thing because then you can see in your own heart, like, here is how I am similar to a villain and like, I got to watch out. But on the other hand, I think there's there's wisdom in guarding your heart. You know, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And sometimes we we can want to pretend to be a villain because it gives us that imaginative freedom to kind of see ourselves in that story as the bad guy as free as free from, you know, the bonds of morality and society. And like, I don't have to be the the good girl. I don't have to be the good boy anymore. I can, I'm free to be whoever I want to be. I I think there can be a danger there, but it, it's a subtle danger and it, and it's not, you know, I, I don't think someone dressing up as Thanos is going to wipe out, Half the life in the universe, or anything, but it can sort of lead you down that road of thinking. Well, what if I could get rid of the people I don't like, right? You know, with the snap of my fingers. And it, it's, I don't know. I think you got to watch out for that a little bit. Yeah, Thanos is the
0: ultimate manifestation of cancel culture, by the way. Uh, and yet, you know, <laughs> if if you study the character, at least as portrayed in uh, in those last films of the MCU, then you understand that he had his reasons and he was complex and you know one of the better Marvel villains. Uh, and it opens up opportunities for conversation in the best kinds of context. But if it's a character who's been just flippantized or, or let's say you're dressing up as the Joker with no Batman in sight, then yeah, that, that may reveal something about your motives. And it really is about really is about the motives, uh, not just the mask that you're wearing on the surface, but uh, the reasons you have for that deep down in your heart. By the way, I, I must again admit that I have dressed at one point as uh, Haripolta, complete with uh, scar. Um, actually, it was a, Fairly good cosplay, obviously a older version of Harry Potter, and Lacy was Hermione. That was several years ago, and I'll explain uh, that and why I want to talk about Harry Potter a little in just a moment. Uh, First off, I'm determined to attempt this segue. If you're dressing up as somebody, you may need to have a choice of blades, uh, which oddly enough reminds me of our next sponsor, a new one to the show this time. This is D. N. Woodward's fantasy novel, A Choice of Blades, and its description is, and I quote. With no knowledge of his true heritage, a young rancher, Leon Waldman, must forge a bold path for survival when he is tossed into a legendary world of powerful skin changers and deadly creatures of myth. Leon knows the mercenaries have plans that may or may not include him and the others, and the locals prove to be just as dangerous as they look. Come what may, he is determined to stick to a promise made to his grandfather, a promise to find a way home for him and those forced through the portal with him. To do so, he's going to have to push himself in ways he never thought possible, and a simple bone handled blade may be the key to either making or breaking that effort. But before he can make good on any promises, he must learn to navigate this new mythical land with a rancher's grit, a unique set of powers, and some new friends along the way. That's the description. Here's an endorsement from another author, James Haddock, who says, This is a good book. Engaging characters, good pace good suspense he said more and there's more to the book description which you can of course find in our show notes for episode 86 as well as by going to lorehaven.com podcast sponsors we'll also show you the cover and the purchase link for this book which by the way zach count sounds kind of texan right there i like that idea A rancher ends up in a portal and in a fantasy world i haven't read it yet but uh that's uh that's a pretty uh pretty good sell for me
1: That yeah, sells me on it too
0: so speaking of fantasy worlds, uh, let's move to our final point here. The fact that Halloween might distract us from confronting real horrors. And Zach, you know this. The idea of confronting the dark reality of our world has been much on our mind lately. This is what this has to do with Harry Potter. Uh, Lacey and I have been re-watching the last three films of the series. And uh, in my perception, and just as a, as a fan of the series going back to several years, I got on board just in time for book seven to release. So I was definitely a late comer there. I interpret the series as being a earnest and whimsical yet often dark fantasy take on what you need to do to fight dark magic. Uh, A recurring theme through all of the books is, uh, is this idea of defense against the dark arts in the imagined world of Harry Potter. There is good magic. Uh, You use the words witches and wizards. And they go to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So some of those words can be genuinely frightening because scripture condemns that sort of thing in the real world. But this isn't the real world. This is the wizarding world, where you assume this sort of thing is basically natural law. And certain people are born with the ability to tap into this natural law. In movie six, which is a good adaptation of the book, uh, the wizard Dumbledore, most people know he's the big good, despite being flawed, shows up in a flashback to talk with uh, the little boy who will eventually become Lord Voldemort. And he confronts Tom, the little boy's name, with his abuse of magic. Dumbledore invites him to come to Hogwarts and tells him, okay, you have these gifts, but you must learn to control them. You know, do not use your gifts to steal, uh, to lie, uh, to do acts of villainy. Uh, Dumbledore tried to redeem this creepy child, uh, tried to teach him right from wrong, and obviously it didn't work. Uh, The whole series is about just that kind of resistance to dark magic. And I'm increasingly aware of the fact that many Christians are so casual about our world that they believe we're still living in a neutral world. And they're unaware of the fact that we are living in a dark magic world. And Halloween decorations can prevent us from recognizing that. Uh, My example in the article was the idea that none of the decorations I've seen so far are confronting a dark reality of our world,
1: the pandemic. You don't see a skeleton hooked up to a ventilator. You know, Stephen, there was a book I read in college by Erwin Lutzer called One Minute After You Die.
0: I read that. Yeah. And
1: yeah, and he talks in there about how the average American spends more time planning a vacation trip to Europe than their own death. Hmm. And I, I think that's true. I mean, in my own life that I realized I haven't, I haven't planned adequately for my own death. Like. I keep thinking of things that like, yeah, I'm going to die someday and I better take care of this ahead of time. And I don't like to think about it, even though I know I'm going to go be with Christ. Like that's an uncomfortable thought. And I and I can't imagine the person that has no hope of resurrection. I'm sure they want to avoid that thought as much as possible. They want to avoid that planning. People without the hope of resurrection can laugh at death in a way that sort of fools them. <laughs> into complacency, but I think even as Christians, like we can take it almost too lightly because like, Oh, I'm going to go to heaven. What does it matter that I'm going to die? And it's like, well, it's it's still a real thing that hurts people. So we have to be sober minded about it. We live now in a anti-supernaturalist culture that is still flirting around with these supernatural kind of leftovers from earlier cultures. And we don't know how to make sense of that. You know, you were chatting me earlier about the uh secret UFO stuff and the men in black. And I just got done reading a book called Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. And this was the earlier part of the government's investigation in UFOs when they were not only looking at nuts and bolts flying saucers that they thought they were seeing, but also paranormal activity that was connected to these events. And boy, they really don't know what to do with that. Like the, the military. The CIA, the, you know, the DIA, they have no clue what to think of these potential supernatural beings that their, you know, intelligence officers are encountering. And it just struck me that we are so far past a supernatural view of the world in 2021 than we've ever been probably in any culture in the world. Cause you, you go to almost any other country and they're like, oh yeah, spirits and, you know, demons angels like it's just normal to talk about it and we're we're so embarrassed to talk about that now and, and the real danger is that we don't see how the devil is operating in the world today
0: agreed well wh- whether it's pandemic stuff that people don't want to make fun of in their decorations cuz either they don't think it's a risk at all or they over they uh, they overdo the risk that's just it's too scary uh, i don't want to show a skeleton hooked up to a ventilator like i don't even see a whole lot of skeletons and masks which are I, frankly would be kind of funny <laughs> That would be yeah, hilarious. sitting around you know two two weeks to slow the spread and they're still sitting at home like i want to see the Halloween, <laughs> you know, i want to see the skeleton you know in front of the old uh, computer it's got zoom on the screen uh you'd have to be walking <laughs> past in the sidewalk to see that up close and get the joke of it but that'd be hilarious just put some cobwebs on it i could laugh at that you know because uh, it's just it, that's not laughing at death it's laughing at the human tendency to uh to constantly want to stay home and act like they're working or you know Anyway, I'll get in trouble if I pursue that further, but I'm already going to get in trouble (laughs) because I'm still talking about Harry Potter. And you were talking about the bureaucracy, maybe not wanting to admit the potential for dark realities around us. I think that's what we're seeing now. Uh, And I think that when we are ignorant of the reality of living in a world that is negative toward Christianity, uh, we're constantly trying to practice these neutral world strategies uh, against what can only be described as dark magic. Uh, And one of the best recent examples of that was the Twix ad that went viral a few days ago as we record, uh, which literally shows a little boy who wants to dress up as a girl and then his magical nanny turns out to be a witch and apparently puts a hex on the little boys who are making fun of our hero child. It is the overt, for whimsy and a little revenge fantasy, it is the overt conflation of sexual identity and witchcraft. That I find genuinely disturbing, and I cannot laugh at that. It goes back to that long tradition of uh, Satanism and personal expression. Uh, It points toward that ultimate disordering of the human identity. I don't want to laugh at that. I don't want to ignore that. I don't want to be like the Ministry of Magic uh, in Harry Potter, uh, which, given the fact that Lord Voldemort is returning to power, puts that news under a complete lockdown, doesn't want to deal with it, doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, There's even mess with the Wizarding World media and everything. Uh, They simply refuse to confront that reality, that the Dark Lord is back and stuff's about to get real, and we need to train in defense against the dark arts, which Harry and his friends end up doing on their own, because their school is being taken over (laughs) by people who are refusing to confront the reality of dark magic. All of that, you know, just seeing that again in the films is relevant all over again. And frankly, it is a great encouragement to know that the author, J.K. Rowling, is now infamous and she's too big to cancel, but they will try. I think she believes what she was writing about. I think that she does believe in the reality of dark magic and in the reality that mainstream media will ignore it. And she has decided to very boldly take a stand in at least one area. You know, she still has a lot of left views, uh, but when it comes to things like transgenderism and that sort of thing, uh, particularly uh, for children and redefining what a woman is, she is very clearly set against that. And God bless her for that, at least in a common grace way. I hope that she is, uh, she is a believer. I don't know. Some people say, yes, obviously, the Harry Potter series is Christian. Like, Well, there's some Christianity in there, but that doesn't mean the author's a believer. I think that stories like Harry Potter and maybe better celebrations of Halloween can help us confront real horror rather than being flippant about it. I don't believe in white magic. I believe in Christ's glory and his power through his sacrifice and resurrection. That is sufficient to fight the dark magic, but I do use the word fight there. There is dark magic metaphor or real in the world. Uh, Increasingly, it is rising to power like Lord Voldemort. Uh, People are using their personal identity uh, and their selfishness and their, their wicked behavior uh, to try to insist that everybody approve of their dark magical roles and Christians cannot do that. And we, through our stories and our celebrations, we have to find ways to resist that and then even overcome the evil with good.
1: I think what makes it hard to see a lot of the dark magic at work in the world is a lot of social movements are advancing through victimhood culture and through what I call victim supremacy, that because I'm a victim, I am above reproach. My statements are unfalsifiable and my character is unimpeachable uh, because of some victim status that I have. And therefore I can do whatever I want to you. (laughs) Criticizing me is inexcusable. You know, there's quite a bit of power behind a lot of the people that say they're powerless. And I, I think a lot of people don't know how to discern that sometimes is that you can be very, very powerful while pretending to be weak. I mean, this is the classic wolf in sheep's clothing. And, you know, this can happen in very small ways. This can happen in very personal ways. A lot of individuals can behave this way, pretending to be weak while actually being very strong and ravenous. And I think as Christians, we, we can sometimes be too simple in how we evaluate personal interactions and and we can think, well, this is what this person is saying. They must be telling the truth. And like a lot of people are a lot more deceptive than we assume. I want to go back to something you said, Stephen, a minute ago about, you know, how flippancy towards death and Halloween can make us forget the real horror of death. And especially with the pandemic. There was this paper I read a while back by theologian John Swinton and he talks about the theology of the cross and like having a proper theology of suffering versus our what he calls glorious medicine and how we we can sometimes way too much put our hope in medicine which is really just putting our hope in ourselves or versus science, having
0: the science
1: Yeah right Versus having a you know a proper understanding of God's comfort for us, even in the midst of suffering that won't go away. I'm so struck by this. Like I, I read this before the pandemic, and I keep thinking about it during the pandemic. Um, John Piper has written a little bit about this coronavirus and the Christ, how we have to have a proper understanding of death and suffering. We can't just substitute medication for hope in the resurrection. And I think, yes, we need medicine, but that can't be our hope the pandemic has certainly broken us of that. I mean, it's broken so many people's trust in our entire health complex, like the pharmaceutical industry. You know, there, there is obviously a huge debate right now about the vaccine. I think people are really coming out of their idolatry, in a sense, of the self, ultimately, of science, of better living through chemistry, you know? <laughs> I think we have many means of trying to deal with the reality of horror in a
0: world, whether it's the pandemic restrictions or dark magic or the idolatrous attitudes that lead people to pursue dark magic. Uh, We try to ignore these realities or act like the experts will handle them for us, either the expert uh, elitists uh, or the experts among the people. And both of those have got their issues. It is a placebo. Uh, We're trying to distract ourselves from the real horrors. Which leads back to the idea of the decoration we're using these fake gravestones and skeletons and such to distract ourselves from death and so christians particularly when we try to engage the world we like to pretend oh it's just neutral we just need to be nice Uh, we just need to make better stories and then uh, the world will love us and we'll be okay i don't believe in that and the reason why i'm more negative about this is not so i can have an excuse to go all culture warrior I want to learn better how to love my enemies. I want to learn better how to confront death and suffering and all of these things. Uh, It will not do to pretend that these things actually aren't so bad or are something that I can just laugh about. I want to deal with the reality as it is. I want to deal with the fact that there are enemies of Christianity out there who want to dominate Christianity with their own new religion. And then once I've gotten hold of the reality, I can understand better how to love that enemy. I, I can't just love, oh, well, he's just a friend who's misunderstood or he's just a victim. Like, well, that's easy then. If I've turned him into a fictional character or a template of some kind, no, I, I want to know that the enemy is real, that it is serious. Uh, that, and if it's a person or a faction or group of people, I want to learn how best biblically to love and serve that person, even while resisting their evils. I must overcome evil with good. It will not do if I'm adding an asterisk next to the evil. And then I put down a footnote, not actually all that evil, or they're only evil because the church done them wrong. This is about confronting reality. The reality, the cold dose of reality is, I think, the curative to flippancy. We're about fantastical truth here, not escapism. So it really goes back to our main purpose for the show and, and Lorehaven as a whole. We want to use these kinds of stories to understand reality better and to cut through some of the fake fantasies that get around that are really just the wrong kind of escapism.
1: Well, to you, our fantastic listeners, we would love to hear from you about your thoughts on this episode on Halloween, on horror, on death, resurrection. What are some stories that you've read that you feel like dealt with these these topics in a really responsible way or in a healthy way in a way that made you think about something new, send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look for Lorehaven. You can also subscribe to Lorehaven, lorehaven.com slash
0: subscribe. And by the way, as you're corresponding with us, I want to know what excellent Christian made fantasy science fiction or beyond that you have read this year. Zach and I are hoping just to do a big reader celebration episode in another few months or so, corresponding with a big announcement we are planning for Moorhaven. So, reach out to us, tell us what titles you have enjoyed the best, and share your strategies for how to read as many books as possible while enjoying the experience. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, I've already mentioned what's next on Fantastical Truth, but we are looking into even more topics and guests as we move closer to the end of this year. And also toward that 100-episode benchmark. We will officially, at that point, be a three-digit podcast. Uh, We have been looking forward to that for quite some time. So we have some big plans in the works, as I mentioned. Uh, Look forward to hearing from you guys about that. Meanwhile, as you celebrate Halloween, if you celebrate Halloween, just make sure not to be flippant about it. Let's not mock death in a pagan way. We can laugh at death. We can laugh at the devil more because he is a defeated foe, but he's still a serious foe and death still has a sting. It has not been nerfed yet. Jesus is the victor. We can hope in him, but let's make sure that our hope leads us to confront reality, to look forward to the resurrection, to ignore the parody versions of that and to confront real horror that does continue to infest our world as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.